Well, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8 as we read together this chapter. And I am going to try and make some progress uh, through much of this chapter, if not all of it. Hebrews chapter 8, excuse me, we will read uh, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Those of you who are visiting again, we are glad that you're here. And we've been going through the book of Hebrews for a few months, and we want to talk this morning about the better covenant uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. It is a better covenant, and it is a new covenant. Those will be our two points this morning, the first coming from verses 1 through 6, and the second from verses 7 to 13. Let's pray together again, and then we'll read. Our gracious God and our Father, were it not for your grace, none of us would be saved. None of us would know you or love you. None of us would repent. But because of your grace, O God, we, Lord, are your people, and you are our God. And so we ask that you would speak through your word and feed your sheep. May, Lord, we rejoice in Jesus Christ, And be well fed this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, He would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, quote, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, 
and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Amen. Now, in the Reformed tradition of which this church is a part, we believe as Presbyterians in the importance of viewing the Bible in its integrity from beginning to end, meaning that we see a continuity and a unity as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, as you begin in Genesis and end in the book of Revelation, we see this as an unfolding, organic revelation of God, especially in Jesus Christ. However, there comes with that a danger, and that is to flatten the contour of the revelational development as you move through history. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that we should view the Bible as being integral as we go from Old to New Testament. That is, it's still united, but that there is a progression and a development as we move. That is, we should not think of it as a flat plain, but rather as an ascending mountain or hill. As we go up, we see more and more truth about God in the Lord Jesus Christ as we move from the old covenant into the new covenant. Now, I emphasize this because the original audience of this letter, we believe to be Hebraic Christians, were tempted to forsake the development of the new covenant and return back to their Judaism. And what the author in this chapter is doing is he is showing us that we have in Jesus Christ today a better covenant and a new covenant. It is a better covenant and it is new. And I want to explain what that means, but also I do want to say what it also does not mean as well. So what do we have here? Well, my first point is going to be that we have a better covenant taken from verses 1 through 6. And then I want to emphasize that we have a new covenant in Jesus Christ. But that this new covenant is not substantively different in its essence than what you had in the old covenant. But the application or the administration of it is far superior to what you had in the Old Testament here. And let me show you what I mean. Let's start here with the first section, verses 1 through 6. Look at verse 1 again here in our text, and then I want to make applications as we go. 
Now, the author of Hebrews begins this eighth chapter by summarizing the things that we've been looking at last year. He says in verse 1, Now the main point in what has been said, that is what has been said previously, is this. We have such a high priest. Now who is this high priest, boys and girls? This high priest, you and I know, is Jesus Christ. We've been studying that for many weeks. Jesus Christ is a high priest, and he is one that is a high priest according to the order, they said, of Melchizedek. That is, he did not come from the tribe of Levi, but that he nevertheless is still a high priest. This is something that even the Old Testament foresaw would come to pass. Psalm 110 speaks of Jesus Christ being both king and priest. In Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive Jesus Christ in all his person, but in also all his offices. When you take Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, that means you're taking Jesus Christ as your high priest. That means you're taking Jesus Christ as your prophet. You're taking Jesus Christ as your king. And the author here is telling us that now with the coming of Christ, we have a better priest. We have a better priest than what you had when you were living in the days of Moses or David or Solomon or Jeremiah or Isaiah or one of the prophets. You have a better priest. In the Old Testament, you had sinful Levites. You had men that were mere men just like us. But in Jesus Christ, you have a faithful high priest who is without sin. In the Old Testament, you had a priest that needed to make sacrifices for themselves because they were sinners. But in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice is only for you. He has no need to make sacrifice for his own self because he is impeccable. Jesus Christ is without any sin. And this is why, congregation, um, if any of you are not yet in the Lord, that is, you have not personally put your own personal trust in Jesus Christ, I want to put Jesus Christ out there as far superior to anyone or anything that you could put your trust in. Jesus Christ offered a perfect sacrifice that will pardon all of your sins, all your past sins, all your present sins, and even all the sins that you and I will commit in our future are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and are washed away. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive from God that forgiveness of sins. We have now a high priest who also is the one who offered himself as the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the, the priest would offer a blood of a bull at the Day of Atonement. They would bring the blood of an animal into the Holy of Holies. And that Holy of Holies was a, a room that no one could enter except the high priest. And that high priest could only enter that room one time a year on the Day of Atonement and he dare not enter that room without blood in his hands, without blood in a basin, in a bowl that the priest carried and then sprinkled on the mercy seat. Now, why would God accept that? Well, because God was preparing for the time of Christ. Christ had not yet come. And so in the meantime, God had to provide these symbols and these signs and these sacrifices which were imperfect. And he had to do so through priests, high priests, that also were very imperfect. 
But now, point number one, you have a better covenant in Jesus Christ. So that while we, as New Testament Christians, see the integrity of the Bible, and we see the organic link between where we are in the New Covenant and where the people of God were in the days of Israel, we see that it is connected, but we see that there is tremendous development. There, there, it, it is far better to be in the covenant that you are in now with Jesus Christ. It is far superior to be in covenant. I think this is why Jesus said that, that the person who believed in the new covenant uh, was greater than John the Baptist. That didn't mean that they were inherently greater than John the Baptist. But, they, but that they, Jesus is saying that the covenant is so superior. Remember, who is John the Baptist? I know John the Baptist is in your New Testament, but you got to realize John the Baptist is an old covenant prophet. He's the last of the old covenant. And so Jesus is saying that the weakest, wobbliest, most infantile believer who has just for the first time believed on Jesus Christ and doesn't know anything other than Jesus is Christ and he's Lord and Savior, he is in a superior position than even John the Baptist, who was a mature and godly man in the Old Covenant. So notice here that in verse 1, as the author makes the case that you're in a better covenant, notice here that this high priest who has uh, offered a better sacrifice, namely Jesus has died for our sins, but notice where he is. The, in the Old Testament, the high priest would go in behind the veil and he would come back out. But now in Jesus Christ, you have a high priest who has gone into the veil in heaven and he is there at the right hand of God, sitting next to the Father with all power and authority. If you're not a Christian this morning, or whether you're trying to figure out whether you are a Christian or you're exploring this, I would urge you to look to Jesus Christ this morning. If you are trying to figure out whether Christianity is true, if you're trying to figure out, is this really the truth? Is this really the true religion? How do you get there? What do you do? The author of Hebrews, I think, would tell you, you look to the one who is the high priest sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. You look to Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for you and where Jesus is now. Everyone else is in the grave who has founded some other religion. Buddha or Muhammad, they are in the grave. But Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father on high. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room discourse in the Gospel of John, John 14, 15, 16, 17, that he was going away. And this brought grief to them. But he said, don't let your heart be troubled by that. It is better that I go away. It is better that I sit at the right hand of the Father. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will help you. And where I am, you shall be with me as well. In the old covenant, only the high priest went in, but the worshipers had to stay in the courtyard. 
But when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ not only goes inside that inner veil in glory, but he says, you're coming too. I will bring you by my spirit. I will conform you to my likeness. And when you die, you shall be with me in glory, in paradise. And on the last day, I will raise you up in the resurrection of the dead. And we will assemble about the throne of God in the new heavens and the new earth. You will now be the tabernacle. You will now be the temple. You will be the living stones, as Peter calls it. You will have the Holy Spirit. There will be no need for sun or moon, for the glory of the Lord will shine about that place. That is where Christ is, I am bringing you. This is a far better ministry than what we had in the Old Covenant. As I've said in times past, the Old Covenant was what? It was but the training exercises for the people of God. Notice that the text said that the Lord, when he delivered his people out of Egypt, I took you by the hand and led you out. They were but as children. But now in Jesus Christ, we have been brought to a maturity. We have a better ministry, a better covenant, a better Savior. We have in Jesus Christ a better high priest We don't have to look at bulls and cows and sheep as a burnt offering on the altar. We look by faith to Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus Christ offers himself to God in verse 3. It is a better ministry for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Well, what is it that Jesus had to offer? He offered himself on that cross. In verse 4, the author shows how the heavenly high priest of Jesus Christ is greater than the Levitical priest. In verse 4, he says, Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since There are those who offer the gifts according to the law. That is, the law required it was the Levites. But now in the fullness of time, God has sent forth his own son to be the high priest. But notice here that in verse 5 and 6, that the, the, the ministry of the old covenant was shadowy. It was typological. It was passing away to give to something better. You think about maybe an imperfect illustration, but that of a caterpillar that gives way to a butterfly. There's an organic unity there, but there is development here. And notice what he says in verse 5. In the Old Testament, the law, the Levites, they served a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. Where is the substance? The substance, the author of Hebrews is saying, is in glory. The reality of the tabernacle is in glory. And this is why God himself told Moses, I want you to be careful how you construct this tabernacle. I want you to do it exactly the way I tell you to do it. I don't want you to add anything to it. I don't want you to diminish anything from it. Why? Because what I am setting forth is a pattern of a reality that is seen only by faith. 
what you will participate in, you in the Old Covenant, is that which is typological. He says, see that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Meaning that when they sewed together that tabernacle and those tents and those poles and they made that basin and when they made that altar and when they hung that curtain, all of that was by the design of God and God wanted them to do it. But in doing so, they knew that this wasn't the full reality. There was something yet better for the people of God. A better ministry was coming. And notice who... It is. It is in Jesus Christ, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. All of this is to say that one, by way of application, we should be a grateful people to live in the new covenant. We have seen by faith the Lord Jesus Christ And it is a far better place and position for us. Did you know, boys and girls, did you know that people in the Old Testament who were believers in the Lord, they wanted to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you know that Abraham wanted to see Christ? It's true. Jesus tells us that. Jesus was arguing, you remember, with the religious Pharisees because they were claiming to be children of Abraham. And what did, what did Jesus remind them? He said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it. Abraham was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know Moses wanted to see Christ when he prayed, Lord, show me your glory? And God let him see a bit of his glory passing by. But you know, that prayer got answered later, didn't it? When Moses got to stand next to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The prophets longed to see the things that they were writing. You you do realize Isaiah didn't fully understand everything he wrote, right? The, The things that were given to Isaiah by the Spirit of God and that by the inspiration of God, Isaiah wrote down, Isaiah wanted to know more. He wanted to know who is this suffering servant of Isaiah 53? Who is this one of whom I'm speaking and writing? He wanted to see it. Here's the thing. You and I should be a grateful people because that which the saints of old wanted to see, you and I do see. You say, but pastor, I don't see Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. I've never seen him. I've never heard his voice. Well, that is true physically, but what does the Apostle John tell us? Just because you may not have physically seen him doesn't mean you haven't seen him. Those whom you have, him whom you have not seen, but what? Love. You have seen him with the help of the Holy Spirit. You have seen Christ by faith in the Scriptures. As the word is read and preached to you and the Spirit of God takes that word and he shows you Christ and the sheep hear his voice and they follow after him. We are in a far better position for we have seen the work and the person of Jesus Christ even though we didn't live in Galilee 2,000 years ago. 
You don't have to live or have lived 2,000 years ago to have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see him for yourself this morning by believing on him. How do you come to see Christ? You believe he is who he says he is. You believe that he is the better high priest who gave himself on the cross for our sins that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you this morning, in the light of a new year, is there a new you in Jesus Christ? Is there a new you who has been born from above? Is there a new you who has been wrought upon by the Spirit of God and has taken away the scales from your eyes and given you the ability to see Jesus for who he really is? Is there a new you? Have you been born from above? Have you been born again, born of the Spirit? Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can say, yes, by the grace of God, I am born again, born of the Spirit, born to a new life in a better covenant, a better ministry with a Savior who has fulfilled all the types and the shadows of the old covenant. Now, let me move on to the second section of our text here. And that is not only are we in a better covenant in Jesus Christ, but it is a new covenant. Now, we need to understand what this new covenant means and also what this new covenant does not mean. First of all, let me say this. It does not mean, by way of new covenant, it does not mean that substantively we have something different uh, that is a completely different way of salvation than what they had in the, new, in the old covenant. The substance is the same. Isaiah, you could say, was born again. Jeremiah was born again. Moses was born again of the Spirit of God. These are people who believed in the coming promises of the Messiah. They were saved by grace through faith, just like you and me are saved by grace through faith. But in what way is it new? It is new in its administration here. And what the author of Hebrews does in this next section is he shows you, yet yes, while your Hebraic fathers were true believers, remember he's writing to Hebrews, and he, he, he doesn't want them going backward. They may be tempted to think, well, it was good for my granddaddy and it's good for me. But the author of Hebrews is saying, look, the essence of the covenant is the same in its substance, in its essence. That is, it is by grace through faith in the coming uh, of the Messiah as it was for your grandfathers. But now it is new in that Christ has come and brought um, a different administration of that old covenant. Now, what do I mean by a different administration of this old covenant? Well, one of the primary ways that Jesus Christ administers the covenant of grace differently for us today 
is in the application of the Spirit's ministry to you. That is, in the Old Covenant, they certainly had the Spirit of God, but they did not certainly have the Spirit of God in the same proportion and degree that you and I have the Spirit of God. That is, the author of Hebrews goes to Jeremiah chapter 31, which is one of the clearest expressions of the New Covenant in the Old Covenant. And, and we, we won't go there, but you can look on your own. But basically, all these quotations here primarily are coming from Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet, of course, through much of his writing, has been lamenting the condition of God's people. And because they have been so obstinate, and heart of heart, God is giving them over to judgment, even to captivity. But in order that the faithful not be utterly discouraged, Jeremiah also is offering to the people of God the promise of a better covenant in the future, which will be a yes and an amen to everything that had been promised to the faithful in the old covenant. But it will be superior and new in this way. It'll be new in the sense that it will, in its administration, replace the old. So, for example, the old covenant came at Sinai. And Moses came down from the mount with the tablets of God's law written upon those tablets that we read this morning. But what you'll see here is that Jeremiah, and the author of Hebrews picks up on this, is that the author of Hebrews says, but notice here how Jeremiah anticipated something new about those Ten Commandments. Namely, that they would no longer one day be just on stone, but they would be written by God's Spirit on the human heart. It will be the same in essence in that it's the same moral law. That's why we read the Ten Commandments in worship. And that's why we, we, I think the dispensationalists make a mistake when they want to say, oh, you shouldn't be reading the Ten Commandments at all in church. You see, they're dividing the essence of the covenants between the old and the new. I think they're misunderstanding that it is one covenant of grace, but it is the administration that is different. You don't do away with the essence of the old simply because it was written on the tablets. Now what dispensationalists need to appreciate is that God by his finger has written those laws on our heart and applies it by his spirit to our heart and our mind and our conscience and our will. So it's the same moral law, but it is administered differently. In the old covenant, Moses had to ascend a fiery mountain and bring down the law on stone tablets. But in the new covenant, we have Christ who ascends to the very presence of God in glory. God does not have to come down to a mountain and cover it with fire and smoke and peals of thunder. But it is Christ who goes up as our high priest and as our mediator. He goes into the very presence of God in glory. And what does he do? He sends the fire 
by his spirit at Pentecost. Having taken his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit. He pours out the spirit so that cloven tongues of fire now rest upon the heads of men. And the ministry is now the, 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 a ministry of an outpoured spirit enabling believers to keep the commands of God. The new covenant shall be applied directly by the Spirit to the heart of the believer. Notice that the new covenant does not change in substance, but it does so in form. It is the same commandments that are given to God's people. But listen to what John Calvin says. John Calvin says that Jeremiah now shows the difference between the law and the gospel. The gospel brings the grace of regeneration, says Calvin. Its doctrine is not of the letter, but it penetrates the heart and sanctifies all the inward faculties. The author of Hebrews, quoting from Jeremiah, notes here that where the prophet speaks of the law as separate from the gospel, Certainly believers of the Old Covenant were regenerated by Christ. Yet this grace was conferred, says Calvin, by the gospel. That was to come and not by the law itself. That is what Calvin is saying here is that you, you have the law that was given to the people. But the people were to learn that the salvation would not come through the law but it would come through Christ who was to come. The law is inherently powerless to regenerate. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says this, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in oldness of the letter. So on the one hand, we want to avoid the error of the dispensationalists who say we should have nothing to do with the old law. But on the other hand, we don't want to see the development from old to new covenants as just something that is flat here. There has been a new covenant. And where there is a new covenant, it means that the old administration is going away. Now you have to remember this was written in a time of transition from the old to the new testament here. And so, you know, the, the, the temple was still standing and, this, and people would go to the synagogue and, and observe many of the old regulations here. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 3.6 says. God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, Paul says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Notice here that Paul is amening and affirming the epical development of the new covenant as it relates to the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Did believers in the old covenant have their hearts touched by the power of God? Yes. But what is the point? They received this grace through Christ, not the law. Is Jesus Christ the mediator of both the old and new covenants? Yes, he is because he is the substance of the two. One of the blessings of the new covenant is, is, the, is the gift of, of the Holy Spirit here. Look at our text here. Look at verse 8. 
I'll start at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. This is, this is quoting from Jeremiah here. I will effect a new covenant. So even in the old covenant, they were anticipating a new development in the covenant of grace. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, how will God do that? He will do that by the Spirit. He will do that by the Spirit of God. After the ascension of Christ, Christ pours out the Spirit. One commentator says, New covenant, the new covenants, one of the new gifts of the new covenant is the universal gift of the Spirit of God. Notice here in verse 11, they shall not have to teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord. The people of God will all know Christ because the Spirit of God is given to them all. In the old covenant, a knowledge of the Lord often was given by the Spirit was but in some sense for a few and those men were called prophets. The Spirit would fall upon them and they would give revelation, the word of God by the Spirit. To be a man of the Spirit, by definition, in the old economy was to be called a prophet. But what Jeremiah and now the author of Hebrews is saying is this, is that now all the people of God have the Spirit of revelation in them through Jesus Christ. You remember... When uh, Moses said, hey, we need to have a session meeting. They were in the wilderness, elders meeting. And they gather the elders together and there's a couple of them didn't show up. And the Spirit of God not only fell on all the elders at the session meeting, but fell on the two who didn't show up. And Joshua was a little irked by that. Hey, the guys that didn't show up have the Spirit of God and they're prophesying in the camp. And what was Moses' reaction to that? Oh, that all of God's people were prophesying in the camp. It was an expression of the new administration of the covenant that he was wanting in Christ. Moses was longing for the day that you and I are in right now when the Spirit of God has come upon us in such an extraordinary way that I don't have to say to you, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. For you all know the Lord by the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson says, No longer is an anointed human mediator required to teach us to know the Lord. Now all who receive the Spirit of Jesus, the exalted prophet Messiah, share in the prophetic anointing, he says. Previously, the knowledge of the kingdom was mediated through prophets and priests and kings. But now, through our prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, all Christians have an immediate and personal knowledge of God. Do you know God personally and immediately? If you know Jesus Christ, you do. 
But if you haven't believed on Jesus Christ yet, you still don't know God. But here's the good news. God is offering you a knowledge of himself to anyone and everyone who will believe on his son. 